everyone, and welcome back to another Change There interview. My name is Kendra Seymour, and I'm so happy to be talking again with Brian Carr for part two, where we're going to continue that conversation on how one might go about inspecting their home for mold and water damage. So welcome back, Brian. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Look, I'm wearing different clothes. It's a different day. <laughs> me, me too. Different shirt. I made sure. I, I didn't <laughs> If you did miss part one, you will definitely want to check it out on our website, changetheairfoundation.org or our YouTube channel. But in case you haven't listened to it yet and don't know who Brian is, he is a second generation indoor environmental consultant who specializes in working with hypersensitive individuals with complex medical conditions. He helps them to understand if mold and mycotoxins or other indoor pathogens exist in their homes that may be contributing to their health conditions and how to remedy those. Brian has become a go-to mold and biotoxin resource for many medical practitioners across the country and has helped over 5,000 hypersensitive individuals nationwide to create healthier living environments that have allowed their doctors to help them get better. Brian is co-founder of We Inspect and creator of Moldwinder's Method, a digital training program for hypersensitive individuals and doctors who treat them. The program teaches its students how to identify and remove mold and mycotoxins from their homes so they can get healthy again without having to hire or get scammed by a local inspector. So Brian, last time you were here, you gave us so much great information. In part one, we discussed the importance of the history of the home. Maybe the client fell off in a certain room or knew there had been water damage in the past. And you went through the five signs of hidden mold growth for us. Now, what we want to know you know, we know what you're looking for. Can you tell us how you go about inspecting the house, where you look, what tools and testing you might use to assist you? Yeah. Um, so I think the, the first thing is that it really is about inspecting the house, right? I just feel like so many like mold inspectors don't actually inspect the house, right? I mean, it's like in the title of the person's name and yet they don't actually do this, right? So the thing is, is that you actually have to be looking for where the source of the problems are. I think I did the analogy in the last one of the factory and the source and how things are moving, right? So um, the idea is that if you don't know where it's coming from, you're never going to be able to fix it. So you can't have an inspector come in and not actually look for problems, okay? So that's the big thing. So if you have somebody come in and they're like, I'm going to take an air sample from every room and we're going to find out what your quote air quality is. I swear you're just burning your money on fire. Actually, we we did a, a study for a year on this exact like concept. So obviously we knew, you know, that this doesn't really work, right? But I wanted to prove it for people. Um, and so what we did is every inspection that we went on for a year, let's say there was a spot in a room where we saw one of the five signs of hidden, of, of hidden mold growth, right? Um, and that area is completely dry right now. Right. So this is this isn't there's something wet right now. This is there's something totally dry. You know, a lot of inspectors won't even care about it because they would say, oh, if it's dry, there can't be mold there. Right. So they wouldn't even care about it. So what, what we did is we in every place, we just picked out one room and all the places we did throughout a year. And we did this. So let's say it's, it was a wall. Right. So we would have done a wall cavity test in the wall. Right. Which means you put a little hole in the wall. It's about the size of like a Sharpie pen, put a tube through the hole attached that to your air sampling pump. You're not taking air from like behind the wall, right? Your tube goes through the wall. You're in that cavity. You're pulling the air out. You're trying to see what's hiding behind the wall, right? So that's, that's the right way to do it. So then what we did is I literally just took a step like two, three feet away from that, right? Just walk over a couple of feet away from this wall, put an air sampling pump up at breathing level, which is what everyone says, because that's your air quality. 70% of the time, that air sample that I took three, four feet away from this wall where there was an actual confirmed mold problem in the wall. So we did the sample on the wall. We, there was a problem there. The air sample said there wasn't a problem. 
Oh, wow. Right. So these air samples, these air quality tests that these people are coming in, these local inspectors that are all doing this stuff, they're, they're giving false negatives 70% of the time when there is a problem here, right? So the first big thing on this is if you have somebody coming in your house, like, yeah, I'm going to take an air, an air quality. If anyone says they're taking an air quality test, just don't hire them. Like they literally don't know what they're talking about if they say air quality tests. That's like the biggest sign. If they're not even saying that we're taking like mold tests and they're saying we're taking air quality tests, just don't hire them. <laughs> just like, so that's the first thing. Okay. So those are people that are coming in, not even looking for anything. So that's kind of the first problem. You have to find where the sources are. You have to look for something. That's what mold inspector means. You inspect stuff, right? So that's the first thing. Now, the second thing is kind of how someone inspects stuff, right? So that's kind of the next piece of it. So the other thing that will happen, the next kind of the next type of inspector that comes in is someone who makes it seem like they're doing a lot of inspecting when they're not, okay? So what this person is doing is that they're hard selling their infrared camera and they're hard selling their moisture meter to you. And they're saying, well, we're going to use all this technology and we're going to be able to find if there's stuff going on. Yes, those can be valuable. I don't want to like downplay the like that they can be valuable, right? That's not what we're saying. But the problem is most mold problems in homes are the result of previous water issues that have since dried. If it's dry, a moisture meter will pick up nothing. If it's dry, your infrared camera, like don't, don't think an infrared camera is like a magic look behind the wall and mold pops up on it. That's not what happens. That'd be nice. And if, <laughs> if, I could, if I could invent that, I'd be done. It would just be over. Um, that's not what they do. What they do is they look for temperature changes in building material. That's all that it does. So imagine like you guys see those screens or like all the colors, you know, you see like infrared cameras, it's like red means hot and blue means cold. And you're kind of going over stuff. So all an infrared camera does is show temperature variances. That's all that it does. But if the water issue dried out four years ago and it's not wet anymore and the temperatures are stabilized, you're not going to see that at all in an infrared camera. So what these inspectors will come in and do is they'll scan the whole house with their infrared camera and they'll put moisture meter down around, you know, certain things. They'll be like, everything's dry. You're cool. We're going to take some air quality tests. <laughs> We're going to see what's going on. Or maybe, maybe they don't use that phrase, but they're, they're going to overlook a lot of stuff because their inspection is actually not inspecting. It's relying on tools to kind of do everything for them. And unfortunately that's not how this works. Okay. So you kind of have like tier one, like the lowest tier are the people that just come in and do our samples. Don't even look around. They're out of your house in like a half hour, right? Like that's those people. The second set of people are people that might spend a little more time, but they're not, they're completely reliant on technology. They're not asking about history of the house. They're not looking anywhere for anything, right? They're literally just using tools. That's the next, that's the next type. Now, both of those are obviously going to miss a lot of things, right? The other thing, let's talk about this middle tier person here for a second. And they're using moisture meters and stuff, Right. So another thing that, that I did in a study internally is we wanted to look at, and again, it's something that we knew because we've been doing it forever, but I wanted to kind of prove it. I wanted to show why that doesn't work, right? Like wh how much we're missing if we do that, right? So again, we look for one of the five signs of hidden mold growth. Let's say it's staining. Let's say it's obvious. It's water staining, right? Moisture meter says it's dry. Okay. Infrared camera is not going to show anything because it's dry, right? So typically you're not going to see temperature differences. So a lot of people be like, oh, well, mold needs water to grow. There's nothing going on there, right? We would sample that because we know that just because it's dry doesn't mean there wasn't a mold issue. Because if mold grew when it was wet, 
it doesn't like disappear when it was dry. It just, it stays there. Um, And so that was, that's kind of what we want to do. So I went through at the time, the last 200 samples that we had done source level. So this is the idea of like in a wall where there's a water stain and it was not wet at all. So completely took out all the samples where there was moisture detected before we tested, took all that out completely focused on areas where it was dry. Something happened four or five, 10 years ago. Nobody thought it was a problem. Eight out of every 10 of those samples that we did came back and showed a hidden mold problem there. Okay. So this is why we can't rely on the inspector that comes in and only relies on moisture meter and infrared camera because you're getting an 80% false negative on those as you go by, right? The goal of this stuff is to try to like, is, is to try to understand like where the source is, where it happened. And the only way to do that is one, to actually look for it. And two, to understand this super huge concept that just because it's not wet right now, doesn't mean it's not a problem. It's like the two biggest mistakes that happen, mm-hmm. right? So when we're going through a house, think of your house split up into three levels. The top level of your house is your heating air conditioning system. We call this the lungs of your house, right? Just think about it. Your air conditioner has a return vent, sucks air in, right? You're breathing in. And then it blows air out, except instead of one mouth, like I have, it has 50 mouths because it's every vent in your house, right? So it's sucking air and it's literally spitting it out everywhere. So you have a very like uh, well-functioning lung system essentially in your house, right? So that's the first piece. That's the top layer. The second level of the house is all the structural components of the house, walls, ceilings, floors, cabinets, everything in between. This is typically where the sources are located, where the factories are. So if we go back to that factory analogy, so again, Listen back to the first episode because I keep referring to it. Um, Go back to the factory analogy. You have a factory that's creating your problem. Smoke comes out of the top of the factory. That smoke is what gets into our living spaces and what we're actually breathing, basically, right? That smoke is going to get pulled up into the heating air conditioning system, contaminate the system potentially to the point where it becomes a problem in its own sense. And then it's going to spit it everywhere. So even if you have a problem that's like in my bathroom or in my bedroom, as soon as it gets pulled into the ventilation system, it is now a house-wide problem where the source was maybe somewhere else. Okay. So what we need to do at the set, well, let me talk about third level. So then the third level of the house is basically both of those things settling down on the surfaces in the house. Okay. It's called the settlement areas of the house. So basically the way that it works, you have sources, right? Smoke comes out, gets kind of moved around everywhere. All that settles down on the surfaces. And then as we move around the house, there's this concept that's called the human cloud effect. So if you ever saw Charlie Brown as a kid, there was that one really dirty kid, right? He had this cloud of dirt around him all the time. His name was Pigpen. And you would look at him and be like, gross, this guy's literally like walking around a cloud of all this stuff. This literally happens to us as we walk in our houses everywhere, except it's not dirt. It's invisible particles that create a human cloud effect, right? That's where the name of the thing came from. So as you sit down on your chair, you bump your table, or you open and close a door, or you sit on your mattress, or you just walk around, you're creating little disturbances that pop the stuff off of the surfaces and back up into the air. And that's been proven to get back to your breathing zone. And that's where your exposure happens. So your exposure isn't actually happening from what's behind the walls, right? That's what's creating your exposure. You're being exposed from a combination of what's coming out of your ventilation system, how it's recirculating it around. And then everything that's settling down on your surfaces and getting repopped up into your breathing zone over and over and over and over again. You could have six months 
to six years, even longer of settlement that's built up in your dust if you haven't had a thorough cleaning of the house done properly in order to remove that. And that's a big piece of your exposure component, right? So as we're going through a house, what we need to do is understand what's happening at all three of these levels of the house so we know where it's coming from and how to get rid of the source. We know how it's being dispersed and disseminated throughout the house via your air conditioning or your ventilation system, if you have one. And with the ventilation system, is it impacted? If so, how significant is it? And do we think that it's cleanable or do we think that piece, like components have to be replaced at this point because they're too far gone? That's what we're trying to understand at the ventilation system level. At the source level area, it's sample in a wall, in a cabinet, you know, on a surface here or there, wherever it is. And is there a source here that's contributing? And then on the settlement level, it's, sam- it's dust collection basically from the house to understand the composition of the dust. Is there mold? Is there toxins? Like what's in that dust? And in turn, that shapes what the remediation plan needs to look like, right? So the idea is that the inspection is really focused a lot on level two, which is all those structural stuff. So we're going through a house, we're spending four, five, six hours going through the house and looking at stuff, right? Looking at every wall, looking at all the cabinets, looking in the attic, in the crawl space, in the basement, looking at the structural surfaces of the house. And it sounds like a lot, I mean, it is, right? But ultimately like you're looking for these five signs of hidden mold growth. So like you're going through, we're looking in a space and we understand kind of what we're looking for that are the triggers that there might be something going on. And then we sample at that direct targeted source level to then validate if there is something going on, right? And you might say, Brian, if you have an 80% hit rate on these samples, why are we testing all of them, right? Like, why don't you just assume that there's a problem in all of them? So a couple of reasons. One, 80% means that you have a 20% rate that you're wrong on a sample, right? So, and it's not that you're wrong. It's just like, listen, we don't know what's back there, right? But we know this is a trigger and a clue. If I sample an area, or if I assume that, you know, there's 10 things that I found, I just assume all 10 of them are bad. You have a remediator come in and they're putting a plan together for 10 different areas. Mm-hmm. Listen, the cost of a sample compared to the, co- to, the, to the multiple thousands of dollars in your assumption of assuming it's a problem to fix that area, right? So like to sample something, depending on who you're working with is anywhere from like 75 to 150 bucks per sample, depending on who you're working with, right? So like, oh, why am I paying $100 for a sample here or whatever the number is when Brian says it's an 80% hit rate? Because if you spent that hundred bucks, and it came back and it said, there's no problem there. Now you don't have to spend 4,000 to remediate it or whatever the right. cost is, right? Like that's a huge difference. It's worth testing every potential thing to avoid that massive outlay later that you might not have to do. That's one reason. The second reason is you may not need to remediate every single thing, even though maybe there's a problem in multiple places. This is where we start. And it's, it's maybe for another talk we could talk mm-hmm. about, about prioritizing remediation. So just because you found eight things in your house doesn't mean you have to remediate all eight of them, but it lets you understand where the problems are. And we can start talking through, well, how do I prioritize and get the, you know, apply like the 80-20 concept to this? Most people can get better. This isn't everybody, right? Some people are just super, super sensitive and I get that, right? But most people, if you limit their exposure by 50%, let's say, let's say there's eight things that we found and you did four of them. That's 50% less stuff that your body has to now deal with because you've removed 50% of the exposure. For some people, that's enough, 
right? For some people, they need to do more. For some people, whatever. But you don't know that unless you sample because you can't prioritize, right? And so those are kind of the reasons that that you go through and do that. That is great information. I think you early on in your response painted a picture of what most of us encounter when we hire an inspector for our home. They come in, they're in and out in 45 minutes. They take five air samples. They tell you it looks good. They don't explain to you what that picked up or what the limitations were. So that's really helpful information. Is there anything else you want to add? Obviously, when you're vetting an IEP or someone similar, you're listening for how they go about doing that inspection. Is there anything else we should be listening to as we vet people to inspect our home? I mean, I would be asking them, I'd be asking them like, hey, first off, what's their process, right? They're, they're going to say, oh, you know, we inspect them. If they say we're coming and taking air samples, cut them. Like, that's not what you're doing. You don't want somebody coming to do air samples in every room. I'll tell you right now, I almost never do an air sample in the middle of a room. Almost never. Very rarely I do this. Very specific reasons that I would do it. Almost everything that we do is directly in a cabinet, in a wall, on the ceiling, where we think the source is to figure out source. And then the dust testing is to understand what's circulating through the house, right? So one is just kind of understand their process and what they're doing. So go, oh, we use all these tools. Cool. How long does your typical inspection usually last? Oh, you know, it'd be like an hour or so. No, you're wrong, right? This, their answer needs to be minimum a few hours, mm-hmm. right? To really go through everything. So if they're not talking three, four, I mean, your size or your house kind of depends. Let's assume it's like a 2000 square foot house. You're probably taking like two to three hours at minimum, minimum on okay. that maybe more, right? They have to go in the crawl space. You have a crawl space, crawl space can take somebody a half hour to get in and out of it. Mm-hmm. You have an attic, that's going to take somebody a half hour to hike their butt up there and go look in the attic and come back down. So that alone's an hour. And then you've got the rest of the house that has to happen, right? So, you know, I, I, I'd be saying on average, we're probably, for us, we're probably at a, at a home for four hours on average, summer longer, summer less, right? So that's kind of like the first question you can ask. Second thing is, how do you determine where the source is, right? If they're not testing directly in wall cavities and they're not looking for source and you can, under, you know, just listen to the whole explanation I just gave, right? If they're not actually going to source and testing there, they're not going to do it right, right? And so you're missing on that. If they don't even understand like what a wall cavity sample is, some of these people right. don't know because all they do is air samples in rooms. They don't know that you can attach a tube to something and put it in a wall, right? They don't know you can do that. So if they don't know what a wall cavity or, or a wall check, sometimes they say like a, a cavity check or a wall cavity or something like that, then they're obviously not going to be kind of going through the process that we talked about. They need to be opening your heating and air conditioning system, air handler unit. They're like, oh yeah, we test your air conditioning system. If the way they test, ask them how. If their answer is we're doing an air sample by a supply vent when it's on, wrong answer. Okay. If their answer is we're swapping a supply vent randomly, wrong answer. What they need to be doing is actually opening up the air handler unit, which is usually like either in your attic, your basement, your garage, typically. Sometimes they're inside your house in a closet, which is more ideal, actually. Um, Sometimes you're in your crawl space, which is kind of awful, but if that's where it is, that's where it is, right? So, but but it's the unit where all of your ductwork connects to, right? That unit, not the condenser on the outside of the house, right? To differentiate that, that condenser on the outside of the house, there's no ducts that are attached to that. That's more like an engine for your air conditioning system. The furnace or the air handle unit is where all the ducts connect. They got to open that up. You got to be sampling inside of that. You got to be inspecting inside of that. If they're not doing that, then you're missing the air, the, 
the ventilation piece of it, right? That top level that we talked about. So, I mean, I think those are some big, I mean, do they know what ERMI is? Do they know what mycotoxins are? If they're like, yeah, ERMI, you know, the EPA says it's not something to look at. They're not the right person for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. You need someone who's like, yeah, I told you, yeah, Ermi, there's strengths, there's weaknesses. We get it. We can collect it. We can, you know, that sort of thing. That's somebody that's maybe we're talking to. Someone's like, oh, Ermi, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. EPA doesn't like it. Well, you know, sorry. I don't think that we're the right fit. Right. Yeah. So it's tough because there's not a lot of people that do it that way. And I'm giving you all this criteria. And I feel like some people are like, oh, I can't find anybody that's going to be to that level. Right. So you have to ask yourself a question. Would you rather have somebody come in who you know is not at that level, who's going to miss things, yet you're still paying them for it, but it gives you this sense of security. And then you feel like you've checked that box, but then you're still being exposed to stuff and like ignorance is better, right? Or do you really want to figure out what's going on? Might be a little more difficult to find somebody. And listen, guys, not to like, you know, promo or anything, but if you can't find someone locally and you're really set on that, just like, just contact us. We go everywhere. Right. So like, we will go to you. I do group consulting in a different way. That's another way to work with you. So, I mean, there's different ways. So don't feel, cause sometimes I talk to people, they live in the middle of nowhere. They have small markets. They don't have a lot of options where they are. And it feels almost like, Oh, we can't do everything you're saying, Brian, because it doesn't, it doesn't exist here where I live. Sure. So if that's you and you feel like that, we can help there. Right. So don't feel like that's a limitation. You have a class too, where people can really learn to become their own IEP as well. Yeah. So I, I have a private consulting group that was built off of Mulfinder's methods. So Mulfinder's method is, is literally the, it's the training that I put all my, all my team through. It's, this is what you look for. This is where you look for in every room. This is how you go through this process. It's built in a training program now that consumers, you know, people can access, homeowners, renters can access. But then we've since attached a, uh, a group consulting element onto it. So now I have a private consulting uh, clients that I work with in a group format that are that get access to this. They can work through their own home, look at what's going on. I have you know, office hours, we answer questions in Facebook groups. A lot of times people are kind of hesitant to get into that. It's like, what if I have a question on something? Like, how do I, how do I address that? So now we're there for that. Right. So for a lot of people, if you're renting, you might not want a full inspection. Like you don't own the place. You might just want some direction on how to get out of your lease, for example, and how to sample for that. I can help you with that. Right. We can, we can do that. So the consulting thing, for different situations is awesome. If you're somebody who wants someone to come into the house and do all of it for you, obviously that's an option, right? Um, there's a cost component for that, right? If you are somebody who's like, hey, I'm willing to kind of take direction from Brian and we can kind of do this together. It's a lot cheaper and you get all the same information and you're not limited to your geographical location on whoever's local to where you are. And I even like teach you how to like make the local people do things the way that you need them if you have to bring them in, right? So there's so many options on how to do it. I just don't want to, I don't want people to feel limited and like, I live where I live and I can't do this because you know, I'm wherever. Right. Yeah. You have the power and you have the control because at the end of the day, no one will care about your health or your home as much as you. So don't, don't be shy about stepping up and asking for what you know is right from people you hire or, you know, powering yourself by taking classes. Brian, I want to know, will you come back and talk to us a little bit more next time about testing and prioritizing, you know, where you might start and maybe even getting into a little bit of contents cleaning, because I know those are 
next questions that people might have. But thank you so much for joining us again. Lots of great information here. And um, we'll see you next time. Yeah, I'm sorry I have to keep leaving in such short uh, stints. But yeah, I'll definitely come back. It'll be cool. No, this is great. It's enough for everyone to go digest and, you know, think about this and their next step. So thanks so much. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.